Welcome to One Long Conversation. I'm Sonia. And I'm Colby. This is a podcast about spiritual awakening. Yeah, and through that we talk about art, culture, conscious parenting, and healing yourself so you can express and freely share your unique perspective with this world. This is a fun and informative conversation that we have daily, and we're sharing it with you. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. podcast episode today a relaxed podcast but you're not relaxed you're not as relaxed but i i'm very relaxed i'm upgrading but you know that even when i'm upgrading i will teach the yoga class i will give the session i'm that kind of a person i will always go the the extra mile even when my body is exhausted and i've got too much electricity going through it and it's stuck Yes, it's, uh, that I definitely have noticed that about you. Yeah, I was kind of born this way. I, I just don't, I don't like to stop for this stuff. There's too much to do in life, and life is very short. So, we were talking about mental health, and you had a very interesting um, incident that you were it's, involved in over the weekend. I have many, I have many incidents. Um, I, I just meet with a lot of people who are experiencing crisis and it is my goal to treat everyone as human beings. I think that should be the norm. I think that should be the standard. I see a shocking level of apathy and dehumanization towards people who are homeless or people who experience some level of mental imbalance. And I, I don't understand because from my perspective, I have always seen everyone as equals. And so I guess since I am not in the norm there, I attract a lot of people who are going through imbalance because they see they see that I am treating them as a human being. I think that my energy calls out to them in a way. And I, I understand that part of my role here on this planet is to help them and to help everyone else by just demonstrating that these people are just human beings. Everyone is always so shocked this is this is what gets me. It makes me angry. It it makes me genuinely upset that everyone is always so shocked by what I feel is the bare minimum of empathy and compassion. This is not the same story that I had, but I will tell this one anyway because this was a very big one for me. I went out to a bar with a group of uh, very good friends of mine and at that bar I met a man who was a transient. He was a train hopper, uh, and his name was Horseshoe. And everyone kind of treated this man as though he had the plague or something. Um, I was a little bit inebriated when I went up to talk to him, but he was sitting by himself at a table in this bar, and 
I thought he looked absolutely fascinating. And I was like, I want to talk to this man. And so I departed my group of friends and I went over to talk to him. And, you know, they, I don't believe that they really understood why I would do that, which is crazy to me. Because to me, when I look over and I see somebody who looks, you know, dirty, disheveled, I just see a human being who's been through a lot. And there's a part of me that, especially if they're alone, if I sense this level of sadness, there's a part of me that wants to demonstrate to them that I still view them as an equal and I want to heal some level of their perception in doing so because I don't see anyone else stepping up to do it. And so I went over to talk to this man and we, we ended up having a really amazing conversation. He actually came outside uh, to smoke with us and yeah, my friends just did not, they did not get it. They did not get it at all. One of them, one of them did, but nobody saw it on the same level that I did. They were vocal about it. Nobody, nobody saw it. Even the most interested of them still viewed him as like a, almost a commodity, like a fun story that they could tell to their friends of, oh, I met the one homeless dude this one time and he's been through a crazy set of life experiences. But it's like this man became an asset to their collection of stories. That's at the best case scenario. At the lowest case scenario, they, they viewed him not consciously, but this is how they viewed him as some form of like subhuman. And this is something that I see a lot in society. People see this. I wonder if they don't. I wonder if this is a coping mechanism for people because if they were to look at a homeless person or a homeless addict in particular, Somebody in some level of mental, psychological, emotional distress, if they were to look at that person as an equal, then they would see their own weakness and vulnerability mirrored back to them at full force. And I think that scares people. And that's never scared me. Or, I, that's not true. It has scared me at some points, but I've seen that fear and desire to overcome it because I think it's silly. To fear that sort of thing. Because I don't think that fear heals that. I think compassion heals that. Mm -hmm. And so, so yeah, I've, I've always had, that was just one example. I mean, that guy, he literally voiced to me, he said he was so grateful that I talked to him that he gave me three things of, of his, his own completely limited possessions. This man owned practically nothing, but he gave me a jacket. He, he was an artist, so this was like stuff that he had like sewn patches onto and stuff. He gave me a jacket. He gave me a sign that he made, and he gave me a uh, little uh, a little rolled up thing of heroin, which I promptly disposed of in the in the uh, the the bathroom. Um. But I was not, I, I was not like disgusted by any of these things. I, this is, these are genuine gifts from him to me. This, this was an expression of how, how grateful he was for, for, to me, something so simple, something that I, that I wish everyone was able to give, which is just the gift of understanding and, and listening. And on this occasion, it was a little bit easier for me to converse with him because I was drunk. 
and my being drunk was a social lubricant. So that overwrote a lot of the fear that I would sometimes feel. Um, but I, I recently had a experience where I was approached by a man. Um, I, well, I was completely sober and this is yet again, this is not the first time that this has happened, but this man, he was going through an episode of, uh, psychosis. I couldn't really tell whether it was a chronic schizophrenic thing or a, uh, more recent experience that he was, it, it was hard to tell. He wasn't homeless clearly because his clothes were very clean. Uh, he was nicely dressed. Um, clean-shaven, nice haircut and everything. But he came up to me, and he was wearing a mask, and he came up to me, and he, he, he sort of stopped and turned robotically to me. This, I was up in Portland, and I was working at my job at the farmer's market, so I was cleaning up my tent at the end of the day. He turned robotically to me and, and, and faced me head on, and this is what he said exactly. He said, do I have a warrant out for my arrest? And I looked at him, and I just, I, I was like, what? And he said, do I have a warrant out for my arrest? And I kind of, I kind of chuckled or I smiled at him and inwardly I was laughing a little bit because I thought this was, this was something that funny, you know, because I, I, I imagined off first glance that he was playing a prank of some kind. And then he asked the question a third time, but he took down his mask and I saw that he wasn't smiling, and I saw that there was a serious, a grave sort of seriousness in his face. And so I evaluated him completely differently, and I, I thought, oh, this is a genuine question. And there was all this curiosity in me, but there's also a wave of fear that came with that, because there's a level of unpredictability that I felt all of a sudden because I could no longer necessarily predict his course of actions. This was an, a very unusual encounter. And I, I hate to say it, but there are a certain level of, like, if he looked to be homeless, there would have been a level of physical indicators that I could have played off of that would have told me to expect things differently from him. So I would have been less fearful. But because he was so clean it made me somewhat more wary. I just wasn't really sure what to expect. Be and I, it, you know, that was a moment for me, I feel, of, of weakness because it, it, it was a moment where it was a moment where I was expecting things to play in a certain way and so the mind dictated a set of responses whereas if I was just being open to him, I would have seen him just as he is and been more receptive. I wasn't in that state of being. And we kind of went back and forth for a while in a series of questions and answers where he asked me things like, are the police looking for me? Do you know who I am? At one point I said, no, I don't know who you are. And he said, no, you know who I am. And... I said, no, I don't know who you are, because I was trying to, like, let him know that I am not out to get him, because he seemed convinced it was this weird sort of self-victimizing conversation where 
he wanted to be captured for a crime that he didn't commit because he believed that his phone was giving him a message that people were out hunting for him. And, but he was very confused because he had just talked to the uh, university campus police where we were and they had let him go just fine. They'd said there was nothing wrong. So he said that confused him because usually they would arrest him, which to me, I, I then thought, oh, so this is a routine thing for him. And then I thought schizophrenia. So I, I, I asked him a, a few questions and he kept wanting to ask, he kept asking, who should I call? And I just didn't, I didn't have a good answer for him. I didn't know how to direct him to, I didn't, I couldn't figure out how to direct him to a place of more, of being more grounded. Because I couldn't establish any grounding with him right there. I couldn't figure out where he was coming from. I, I couldn't figure out how to, I tried my best to like, to provide a, a, a balanced perspective, but, but he wasn't coming from a place of balance. And I wasn't assertive enough to, to give him any sense of security. And, and that led to me feeling more agitated inside. And so eventually what I said is, I don't know what this is. I have no idea what's going on right now. I'm going to get back to work. Upon which point he said, okay, have a good day very quickly. And then like turned and walked away. And then after he left, I thought, I felt really bad. And I, I thought, ah, I wish I had been able to direct him better. But I wasn't, I didn't feel confident enough to do it. And so then at what point did you make your social media post on, because I saw it on Instagram yeah, it and Facebook on your story. Yeah, it was a couple hours later after I had gone, I was thinking about it the entire time after I packed up. I went and talked to my coworker, who, or not really coworker, but he has a tent next to me, really nice guy. I went and talked to him, and he was sitting there just nonplussed. Well, he looked up at me at first after the guy left, and he was like, what was that? And I went over to him, and I was like, that guy's having a psychotic episode I think he might be schizophrenic. And he said, oh. He said, I thought you two knew each other the way that you were speaking. And, and I said, no, I didn't know him at all. I feel really bad for him. Because he had literally left me and gone over to another group of people to probably ask them the exact same things. And they were looking very confused. So I knew that he was asking them the same thing. And... I said, no, I, I feel really bad because I, I know I can empathize with him and I know what it feels like, especially here now where I was in hindsight, I knew like I was putting it all together. I knew what it felt like to be in his shoes. I had a wave of post-encounter empathy that had washed over me and, and I remembered... I remembered what it felt like to be schizophrenic, which is strange because I've never been schizophrenic before, but I have feelings of uh I have feelings of connection with people like this where I can 
imagine exactly what it would be like to be in their mental state. And this is a lot of times what leads me to understand where people are coming from. For example, I had another communication with a man, you know, some months ago who was going through a very manic bipolar episode. And I figured out that it was bipolar just by understanding from a place of empathy where he was coming from and then matching that to what I knew bipolar to be. And, and it allowed me to figure out exactly where he was coming from. So it's like I, 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 have, these, I, I have these waves of empathy that allow me to understand, but I'm, I'm trying to overcome this, this fear. But my, co- uh, the, my tent mate, the guy who's next to me, he said, you handled that like a champ. He said, I had absolutely no idea what was going on. Um, I would have never guessed. And I didn't really agree with him because I felt I could do better. And and so I felt very guilty about that. And I, I was just thinking about that the entire way. I went across the bridge and I stopped at a food cart. And as I was walking, I, I just went on, you know, this whole kind of like meditative introspective process of processing that and thinking about it and uh feeling all the feelings and 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 going through all these different alternate realities and just trying to heal that within myself and i i i had to process this feeling of guilt that rose up in me because i i did feel like i could have done a lot better and i did feel like I did feel like I I wanted to really help him more. I wanted to bring him into a state of some level of grounding. And and I that yeah, that was that was when I made that post because I had to share with other people in order to in order to really vent this and heal it, I had to share with other people what my experience was and provide some level of, of clarity. And a lot of times that's how I do it. I, I give myself a lot of clarity and insight through just venting my feelings to other people. Yeah, I, I um, saw the post on Instagram. And I mean, I knew immediately because you've always shared with me all of your all of your experiences and, and encounters you shared with me, the bar experience, that one happened in 2021. And you've always shared these things with me. And so when I read the post, I said, oh, he's, he's upset, he's frustrated, and he's looking for solutions. Mm-hmm. So then I said to you, when you got back, to Junction City, I said, well, we're going to do this week's episode on mental health, because obviously as a quantum healer and an alternative health practitioner, this is an area that I have a lot of experience in, even being a yoga teacher. I have a lot of experience in this. First of all, in my family and in your father's family, we have several members that are bipolar. And so we understand levels of mental health. Um, In Nana's family, there's a lot of mental instability um, because there's a high level of sensitivity. And when you get with people who are highly sensitive people, you you can run into 
um, what's the words I want to use? People who are highly sensitive have a tendency to become fractaled in their perception more easily, I have found, than people who are not highly sensitive. And in Nana's family in particular, there are a lot of highly sensitive people. And there's a lot of fractalization. And in, in quantum healing, mental illness is defined as a fractal perception, a disassociated perception. Now, Ayurveda also classifies it as this, and so does traditional Chinese medicine. There is no word of mental illness in those two healing systems. There is also no mental illness for us in quantum healing. And so because of this, as a quantum healer, I get people from time to time who message me who are very disassociative. They're very mentally fragmented. Now, I have done my best throughout the years to help as many of these beautiful souls as I possibly can because I just want to help. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a licensed social worker. But I have a great passion for helping humans to heal themselves. And as quantum healers, we are we have a protocol that when somebody contacts us who appears to be mentally ill, we of course refer them to go to an actual health professional for for a mental health professional. I've done this every time. There are people though that do message me that it is not easy to um assess if they are mentally fragmented and I have given those people sessions and it's been it's been very intense and interesting experience to try to help these people. Have I helped them? Probably not much. Um, I have given sessions, and not just quantum healing sessions, but my in-person healing sessions as well, and online healing sessions, and one yoga private. I have given sessions to pedophiles who were sexually abused themselves as children. I have, and I did not learn this until they're in the middle of the session. I have given sessions to people who are suicidal. I, I don't know if I shared it in, in any of episode of our One Long Conversation podcast, but I've shared with you before that I actually lost a job teaching yoga at a studio in Portland because I had a client who was suicidal. And I decided to take the phone call and talk my female client out of committing suicide and therefore I missed teaching my class. And I wasn't able to call. And the owner, even though I explained that too, the owner and the manager of the yoga studio, they did not have any compassion, empathy, or understanding. They were a, you... You fuck up once, you're out. So I, I will choose to help people over making a buck. And I feel that we need to come to that 
that level of compassion, empathy, and understanding in our capitalistic society in particular. Um, I have given sessions to schizophrenics that are functioning schizophrenics. I have given sessions to the severe bipolar. And of course, I was married to a severe bipolar and narcissism. I know it very well. I know it from my family members. I know from growing up with a father who is bipolar. He's a functioning bipolar. I know it from my brother who is clearly bipolar and has more depressive moments than manic. And of course, our middle child Mars is also bipolar. But Mars has a level of awareness because Mars is my child and I've educated Mars and Mars is very smart and has done all the research and has also done a lot of counseling. So since we know it really, really well, we've seen the behavior, we understand it, we know how to step back as the observer of it. And when that's hard, that takes a level of consciousness to be able to step out of your ego when you're around someone who's bipolar and step out of the me, 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 this person is attacking me or this person is, you can't take it personally. You have to. So these are the steps. And I'm, I'm literally giving the steps on how to help people who are mentally fragmented and disassociated. You have to come from fourth dimensional perception. Breathing relaxing the body, your body. Because when you can stay in your parasympathetic nervous system, you can keep control over the body. You are going to feel a lot of solar plexus activity when you're around those people because that's what they're experiencing. And as a sensitive empath, intuitive, you are going to feel their field. You're going to feel what they're experiencing. And you have to be the observer using your breath. And this takes practice. You have to use your breath in order to step back in your perception to observe the situation from a higher perspective of higher consciousness so that you can see the difference between their energy and your ego. Breath will also help you to open up to receive intuitive guidance from within because if you are in the now in that moment, and it takes a big shift within yourself to do this, you can completely receive all the intuitive guidance possible to help that person. Now, I shared with you when you got back here that there is a three-step formula for helping anyone who is in adrenaline fight or flight, who is in a manic mode, who is hearing the multi-dimensions that they are perceiving. and I have assessed that people who are literally diagnosed as schizophrenic are actually perceiving multidimensionally and are not aware of this, or they're bilocating and they're not aware that they're bilocating. They don't have a level of awareness to do it. It's just a natural ability that they have. And it can be very confusing because you're hearing other realms simultaneously and it's very discombobulating for the soul who's not in their body to understand. And this is where the clairs come in. 
being able to be right here, right now, but you're hearing through Claire audience another dimension or another inner pocket. And to be able to ask inner self guides, I've done this so many times. What am I hearing? What is that? And they'll let me know. They'll communicate because I'm in my body. But you got to be in your body for that. So the formula is, first of all, everyone, no matter what your mental state of being is or your emotional state of being is or your physical state of being is, all humans want to feel validated for their experience. They want to know that what they're experiencing is true for them and that it means something, that it matters. That's really essential. So the first thing that we do to connect with another person, period, no matter what their mental, emotional, physical state is, is we hear them and we have to verbalize this. I hear you. Yes, I hear you. Then you show empathy, compassion, and understanding. This must be so difficult for you, or this must be challenging for you. I hear your stress in this. I hear the difficulty for you. And then you say, I'm sorry you're going through this, because that softens the vibration and it also raises it. You know, that's why the Ho'oponopono is. I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. The I'm sorry is so key because it opens everybody up to receive. It brings in more of the feminine polarity. So I'm so sorry that you have to deal with this. I'm so sorry you're going through this. This must be hard. I understand I've been through difficult things too. I'm here with you. It's very important to use those words. And you want to use I'm here with you and not for you. For is an enabling word. With you is a supporting word. It's very important that we know our words because we're putting out that vibration and that tone. I have found through experiencing yoga students who have epileptic seizures in the middle of my class, I have found that people who are experiencing um, psychotic episodes while I'm teaching yoga, people who have done drugs and come in and are suddenly tapping into other realms, people who are on medications that are failing them, um, et cetera, et cetera. I've had a lot of, um, shall we say, psychotic emergencies when I've been teaching classes and a couple of medical emergencies, not, not due to my class, but just due to that's their state of being. And then in my sessions, I also had the same student come to me for in-person sessions and ended up having epileptic seizures in the middle of the sessions. What I found is the number one thing that you do is breathe, observe, and connect through validation of their experience and showing empathy, compassion, and understanding. You will calm them down immediately. They will feel your support. The second thing is you want to deal with the physiology of the situation because you want to help them get into their parasympathetic nervous system. You want to help them to relax and allow their endorphins flow. So you have them breathe with you. I I hear you. I see what you're going through. This is really challenging. I'm so sorry. Let's breathe together because the breath is going to help you to calm your body down 
This is going to help you. And if they're willing to breathe with you, you direct them to breathe only through their nose. Because the mouth, you know, exhaling through the mouth, the mouth is meant for speaking, drinking, and eating and kissing. That's it. The mouth is not designed for breathing. The nose is designed for breathing. It's the direct conduit to the lungs and the direct conduit to the circulatory system. To have them breathe with you slowly through the nose. And you do want to just gently direct them and guide them. Because then they know that you're in control, that you're there to help them. And you're giving them instruction and that support. You give them structure. They need structure. The third thing is before you even do that, if there's somebody around you, you want them to bring you some water. Because we want to get water into the person. Water is the universal carrier of electricity. We want to get water into the body because people who are going through those episodes are almost always dehydrated. And that is contributing to their mental state of being and their emotional state of being. So those three things, validation, empathy, compassion, understanding, those all go in the first step. Second step, ask somebody to get water and then you tell them while somebody's getting water that we're going to breathe together. I never ask people. I literally come in and I tell them in the most supportive, gentle, nurturing, loving tone. You do not have to be a parent in order to tap into that. Everybody has that ability to be nurturing and loving and supportive. You just have to put yourself in that situation. What would you want somebody to do for you when you're in that situation? It always comes back to, it's like the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. What would you want somebody to do for you? You would want support, empathy, compassion, understanding, validation, and you would want somebody to physically help you. Now, in all the situations that I had, Except for my epileptic client and student, I never touched them. Never did I touch them physically. You don't need to touch somebody. And a lot of time that can set them off because if they're in fight or flight, you never want to touch somebody who's in fight or flight. With my epileptic client and student, I mean, I was around her for several years and she must have had at least five epileptic seizures in my classes and once in a session. And... I had to touch her because she was going to bite her tongue. So I had to get a spoon, put it in her mouth so she could bite down on it. And let me tell you, an epileptic seizure of a jaw clenching down is no joke. I'd never experienced it except for with her. I was like, oh, oh my gosh, that's like crazy. I could barely get the spoon in there. She was just like, and it was just nuts. And then she began perceiving multidimensionally and began speaking to me. And if you're in a higher consciousness, you can see all of this happening. It just reveals itself. It's fascinating. So that's what you want to do. And this takes, this takes practice. It literally takes practice. Now, I had a lot of incidents in order to practice this with. And you, my son, you are getting a lot of incidents in order to practice this. And because you're in preparation for the next level of your, your work on this planet. You know, I mean, I wasn't a counselor when I was 26. I was a performer. And I was preparing for your father and for you. It wasn't until I had you. Now, I was a nanny. As I've shared in this podcast before, I was a professional nanny and childcare worker for five different childcare agencies between New York City and Los Angeles. That was my survival job in between my performance gigs in New York and LA. And 
I had to become Red Cross certified, which I was when I was a teenager as a lifeguard anyway. But like I was prepared already. I already had to go through um, infant CPR 101 and, and even more intensive levels and child CPR and then teenage CPR and adult CPR, which are the same. Infant is is and, and small child are the same. And then teenager and adult CPR are the same. I had to go through all of that. I had to go through all those trainings. I did have to rescue a friend's life who was drowning in the Pacific Ocean. Um uh, right off, literally just off the coast of one of the beaches in Southern California. It just kicks in. But you, you need to prepare. And this, is for, this isn't just for you, Colby. This is anybody who's listening to this. Because, of course, we're going to attract lightworkers to our podcast. This is our job on this planet is to raise the vibration. And how do we do that? Self-love, self-empathy, self-compassion, self-understanding. And when you have that for yourself, it just naturally extends outward to others. When you literally genuinely care about humanity, this just happens. It's a natural behavior with us. You will fear, feel, you will feel fear. Your solar plexus, the sacral, and the point of brilliance, which is right at the stomach below the heart chakra. It's a little chakra. You will feel those. They will go off. You will experience erratic breathing. You will experience your mind begin to race like, oh my gosh, what if this person attacks me? Uh, when I had a pedophile in, in my home office in 2017, who suddenly came out with all these stories and he completely shifted from what he was when he booked the session with me. And I was like, uh, yeah, I mean, immediately I was like, am I in danger? But the professional therapist always comes out. You can, you can find within yourself the natural ability to talk anyone out of ever harming anybody. There is an ability to do that. And you just use breath, a steady tone, compassion, empathy, and understanding. But you do it with a strength tone. So if you feel like you're in danger around somebody who would be diagnosed by the allopathic system as schizophrenic or as bipolar, when you're around them, you have to have a commanding tone to let them know I am in charge. And everybody has that ability to do that, even if you don't have a cardinal mercury in your chart. Everybody has the ability to do that. And once you put out the commanding tone that you are in charge, then you can help. And if you don't know what to do, you need to seek literally an allopathic mental health practitioner help you need to call a mental health hotline that's why they have them there are 800 mental health hotlines national hotlines there are people who are on those hotlines all the time i actually uh, i know somebody who is a registered nurse and this was his job he ended up being a mental a national mental health hotline um practitioner so that people who would call in an emergency whether it's suicidal or they're about ready to be attacked by somebody or whatever, he would, he, he talked them over the phone into a calmer, rational state of being. 
So there are 800 hotlines for that. Because you had said, I don't think Portland really has a mental health hotline. It does. I wouldn't say it's the best from my client and student who uh, it was called for her. And I found that it probably wasn't optimal in Portland, but there is a national hotline. And I do have clients who have themselves called that national hotline. I had one client a long time ago. Um, this is when I was first getting into doing healing work, uh, serious healing work, actually, for my profession. She said she called the hotline when she was hearing the voices telling her to kill herself. And I said, really? And I said, um, what happened? And she said, I got this amazing woman on the phone who just completely talked me into being calm and then talked me into calling a local um, psychiatrist. Gave me, got me the number of a local psychiatrist. And I called him and, and they got me in an emergency the next day. And she said, this mental health counselor on the national hotline stayed on the phone with me for three hours while I was in my manic episode. So, yeah, there we do have that available. It's there. But if you stick with those three principles, validation of their experience, Empathy, compassion, and understanding through relating with them so they don't feel like they're isolated and alone because they want connection. Water and breathing, oxygen. You're, you're going to find that you're going to have a very different experience. I, again, with everyone that has come to me for sessions, I have never claimed to be a doctor. I'm not. And no one needs to be a doctor in order to help the mentally ill. Again, I don't see them as mentally ill. I see them as they've experienced intense trauma and they're highly sensitive people. A lot of them have already sought the medical establishment for help and they're on medications and the medications aren't working for them. I encounter that a lot. When I talked with the homeless in Peru when we lived there, um, it, was, it was all the women. It was fascinating. And in Peru, they don't have the same classification for mentally ill at all. Um, and their people just sit in the streets. And I, I, wanted to, I wanted to learn who they are and why they're there. And I learned their stories. A lot of them were sexually molested by family members or victims of incest. And they got pregnant through that. And their children are deformed and lying around in the streets. I saw that so often. I wanted to talk with them. I wanted to, I wanted to find out their stories. What I find with the homeless is that they just want to connect and they want to share their stories. They have such rich stories. So when I see people standing on the corners with their signs, I mean, I know that they're a plant. They're a part of the make a bunch of money off a of homeless people sting. Most of them are. I've seen them picked up. I see them get redistributed. You see them around different places. Same signs, same story. They're not doing, they're just playing the victim. I have with many of them 
including the last guy I shared with you about while I was working in Port or in Eugene, Scott, who I said to him, the greatest gift I could give you is not money. The greatest gift that I can give you right now is my wisdom. You could do better than this. I see your intelligence. I see your soul and I see your light. He was so thrilled. He just wanted to connect. I mean, he overwhelmed me, but he was like six foot three and he overwhelmed me by like literally not even asking, just coming over and giving you the greatest hug. Thank you, Sonia. Thank you, Sonia. <laughs> and hanging over me. And that's when I, you know, I smelled the cigarettes in his dirty hair and I was like, oh God. <laughs> like, he's really big. I need to. Okay. And I hugged him back and I pat him because he needed that. And I'm like, yep, yep. And he's like, and he's just, he wasn't clutching. He was genuinely hugging desperate for connection. And I kept saying to him, you have to rescue yourself. Like, what are you learning from being the victim? And then he gave me another victim story. And I said, you stop that right now, Scott. Because he wanted to know what my name was and we exchanged names. I said, you stop that right now. That's a victim. And that gives your power away. And that's why you're in this situation. But when he said to me, I was once an entrepreneur, which, I mean, you could see it in his face. He was highly intelligent. He was just, he was traumatized and he had allowed it to go too far, really. And, and he, was a, he was an attractive, he was an attractive young guy. He must have been in his early to mid-30s. And he said, I was once an entrepreneur. I once owned my own business. And he said, and I made very poor decisions. And I did not cover my bases and I lost my business and I lost my home. And that's how I'm here. And I said, and so what are you doing to pick yourself up? And that's when his victim stories came out. And I said, you stop that, Scott, because I see your strength. I see your light. You're very intelligent and you can do better than this. And I expect you to do better than this. And that's when he sat down and he goes, you're right. You're right. I can. I said, so you're telling me a victim story and I expect you to flip it and turn it into a victory story because that's what I did. So I shared with him my victim to victory story because you have to do that. You have to use your own stories. And if you're still telling a victim story, you need to flip it and tell a victory story, whether you're homeless or not. That's what you need to do. You tell a victory story because we're here to connect and inspire others with our hardship and our light, both. And so that's what I do. So I don't, I don't not tell my stories of my childhood and an alcoholic bipolar father. I just tell the victory story and what I learned about it. I don't tell a victim story about the marriage. I just flip it and tell people how I saved myself and my three kids and how I'm able to help everybody else do that and thank the goddess for that marriage because I would not be doing what I'm doing now had I not gone through that. And I tell people, I thank my kid's father. I don't call him an ex-husband. I find that demeaning. He deserves respect for giving me my three kids. So I choose the most respectful words. I choose the most respectful aspect of the story. And I share with them, yes, there's so many difficulties. This is what I learned about myself in those difficulties. And we have to offer that to people who are struggling within themselves. Again, it's all about everyone really wants to be connected. 
and heard. Yeah, I think um I think I'm still telling myself a victim story. I think that's why I feel really underconfident. How how so are you telling yourself a victim story? I'm trying to figure that out because I still feel this I don't know what it, what else it could possibly be. I still feel this supreme underconfidence and and I still put myself in situations where I mean, literally, it's like with this guy, it's like with any of these types of people, if if my mindset were not of a victim mentality, then I would have acted differently. So when you and I talk, and of course, you know, our, our talks are always empowering, which is why we have this podcast. You're sharing with me deep, deep insights about yourself. So what about that are you not bringing out to the outer world? Because when you talk with me, you're not speaking the victim, you're being your true self. So what parts of that are you leaving out when you go out into the field and you talk with others? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Yep. Because I see you as being powerful. You are an anciently experienced old soul as a young man. I can no longer call you my child. You're not my child anymore. I now am using the fun current term of you're my man child. Yeah. You know, you are a young man. I don't, I don't, I found myself changing my wording from I live with my boys to I live with my guys because both of you are, are shifting and I'm watching it. And it's such a gift to be able to be the mom and live with my young adult sons. How cool is that? So when you talk with me, you share with me all aspects of the insights and what you're learning about yourself. Why aren't you sharing all of that with everybody else? Because that is how you're going to help people because you're I, so insightful. Maybe I just don't, maybe I don't view that as a victory story. I think I, here's what I think it is. Mm-hmm. I think I devalue my own story. I think I have, I think I devalue my own story heavily. I think whenever I tell these stories to people, I think people see them as empowering and see me as powerful, but I see myself as weak and I look at all the flaws that I'm saying. Yeah. And there's that, there's that seeking. We do that when we're, you know, young, when we're in the, in the youth of the life. I did it. We, we think that we're supposed to be there already. I'm supposed to know already. And all that does is it creates the contrast of that deep insecurity. You have to fuck up in life in order to learn through it. And you have to welcome the fuck ups. You have to love making mistakes. And you have to learn to laugh at yourself in the mistakes. Laughter is the key. And it's the key to laughing at yourself and your whoop behavior, whoops, when you're with others, because it then shows a humility. It shows a level of consciousness and insight, and it makes you very relatable to others. If we're looking for perfection, we are unrelatable to others. We then are unattainable. Nobody can identify with us. We can't help anybody. And then we intimidate people. I I I used to intimidate people. I legitimately think that that's what it is. I'm always sharing all of this stuff with everybody. I mean, all of my friends, I'm super, super open with, always, but... 
I've always seen you. I mean, I've seen you with your friends. I've been in presence but with no, you and your friends, you're, and you're exactly the same way with them. You're absolutely right, though. But it's I just I, I've always wondered. I'm like, why does it feel different for me? Why do I feel like I'm not like connecting? And I it's it's because when I'm telling those stories to people, they're seeing that as like, oh my god, this guy is so aware, and he's like so. He's so like comfortable with his insecurities, but I'm not. I'm like sharing those stories, and as I'm sharing them, I'm like thinking like, "Oh my god, I could have done like so much better." Oh my god, I like need to learn this, or like I need to learn that. It's like that's what I'm thinking. That's the story that I'm telling myself. It's really helpful, number one, to list off the qualities that you don't have. First of all, I'm not a diplomat. I can fake some diplomacy because I've learned how to fake it from time to time. It doesn't feel really genuine for me, but it, it can be helpful in, in certain situations in dealing with people publicly. I'm not a diplomat. I'm not, I'm not naturally harmonious. These are Libra qualities. <laughs> I don't have strong Libra in my chart. I am, I am not, um, I am not a stoic person. I am not a person who is steadfast. That's just not me. I'm not quiet. Even when I'm not speaking, my energy is loud. I am not an understated person. I am not, I'm not a negotiator. It's just not a quality that I have. Um, I'm not the most patient person. I have cultivated some patience in order to get the goals completed that I want to complete, but it's not natural for my personality to be patient. I like these qualities about myself. I accept that. I'm good with that now. I have learned through all of the dissidents and the hardships that. I'm completely comfortable that I'm not that way. And so I like to make jokes about that with other people. I'm I like, have such a hard I'm, time with this. I'm just I don't, not like diplomatic. I, I and- like, <laughs> I can't, I can't think about, I don't even know what I'm not. So that's why you have to make a list. And then what, what I share with people is I'm like, I have an extreme personality. <laughs> I'm, I'm the sun. I emanate the sun. I am a star. So I'm big, bright, bold, beautiful, incredible, amazing, and on, 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 on. And when I get tired, I go down hard. There is no balance. I'm not a balanced personality. It's great. Somebody has to not be a balanced personality. Somebody has to be an extreme personality because source wants to experience through all fractals. That's why there's such a variety of us. I have a loud energy. Can I control the volume of my voice? Of course I can. But even my whispers are loud. I have intense eyes. I have an intense energy. I have an intense personality. My words are intense. I am grounded. I am practical. I have a level of control over my body and my system that I didn't have earlier in my life because I've practiced. What got me there? Daily yoga. I, daily yoga. And I go through this in almost every episode. I always come back to that. The practice of yoga has brought me into self-realization and self-acceptance. I am 
the, the embodiment of fun, joy, hilarity, um, movement, care, nurturing, mothering, parenting, leadership, communication. These are my qualities. This is what I bring to humanity. This is what I bring to the world. Nature. I love being outside as naked and barefoot as possible. I love being in the sun. I love eating plants. We're all living plants. That's just me. That's just my energy. And I love to play. I bring fun and joy and excitement. I'm naturally optimistic. I always see the glass half full. Always. I cannot deviate from that. It is not possible for me. I have learned to become discerning. I am very analytical. I analyze everything and I categorize everything. I am definitely a detailed, focused person. I know these things about myself. So you have to go through, first of all, the lists of all the things that you know you're not. I don't even know. I don't know what I am. I feel like I'm always contradicting myself. So I can tell you right now, you're impatient. Own it. Own your impatience. It's important. Impatience is necessary for our growth. That's why it's there. You're impatient. You are naturally diplomatic. That's one thing that I know for sure. I know you that like harmony. Yep. Um, you are an avoider of yeah, conflict. I'm not a fighter. Nope. You're not a fighter and you disassociate when there is conflict. Yep. You have a lot of fear when it comes to conflict. Yep, that's true. Yes. Yeah, I have chronically disassociated. You are inconsistent. Life. So consistency okay, is something that one. we're working on with you. You are in. So you can also look at the things that you know you are and then look at the opposite of that. Okay. So you are an inconsistent person. You have a vision. You have idea. You change your mind very, very quickly. Yep. That's okay. That's an that, air that's fire quality. That's an air with Aries quality. Yep. See that. Yes. And You have learned through me, because I have a lot of earth in my chart, you have learned through my mirroring to you from birth how to be consistent. And it can be learned. Consistency can be learned. Just like diplomacy can be learned. I think I'm learning to be consistent. I don't know. I don't know if that's... You are learning to be consistent. So now you consistently work out every day. Mm -hmm. And you consistently eat well every day. It's new for me, though. This is the most consistent I've ever been in my life. I've never been. And therefore, guess what you're doing? You're seeing the results. Your body is the fittest it's ever been. You are noticing that you can um, be more discerning between your ego, your soul, and your body. You are getting bigger insights since we moved in together. You are now regularly on Vitality Herbs and Clay. You're taking your ionic supplements every day. You're noticing that your brain is more stable. You're you're meditating every day now. You're noticing this, this focus that you didn't have before, and therefore your music is coming out consistently, and you're producing consistent music. So it's important in this and 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 I'm I'm going off of the main subject here for a moment but this is what just came in. We always want to be around people who are living a lifestyle that we aspire Absolutely. to live as and this is why, you know, like we've talked about before, 
in this country, in this culture, we love to separate families. We love to throw away our kids. Go to college, move out. I'm an empty nester. There's this big pride in, I'm an empty nester. I'm so sad. I'm an empty nester. And people said to me, you know, oh, well, Kyan's graduating from high school and you're, how are you feeling about becoming an empty nester? I'm not an empty nester. I'm going to be living with my sons. It's great. I, I want to live with my sons. Why wouldn't I live with my sons? They have their lives. I have my life. You know, I, if, if more families would embrace that, then we can learn from our strengths and our weaknesses through our mirrors of each other. And you're learning about your weaknesses through my mirror of my strengths. There's the duality. Mm-hmm. And then the opposite as well. Mm-hmm. And I am with you as well. I see with you the inconsistencies, the changing of the mind very quickly. And, the, and it's, a, it's a very artistic path. I've got an idea. Oh, it's amazing. I'm going to do this. All right. So what? physical steps are you going to take in order to manifest this write it out yeah make a list start storyboarding yeah, and i even i even do that and then i'll and then i'll still just not do it like i have so many lists and storyboards and all kinds of like storyboarding but then you have to share it with others because in the third dimensional perception we need a mirror a witness. Mm-hmm. That's why I pitched to you today what I pitched with your fashion idea, yeah. because I see the physical, tangible um, potential in that, and it's it has it has weight. You know that term? It holds water. Yeah. It has an incredible potency, and so I'm physically supporting you in that in order for you to manifest yeah. it. It has to collapse I'm not, I'm into... not a very practical person. No, but you're learning practicality. I am a, I am a very... This is... These are... these. Okay, now this is something that I do know about myself. Mm-hmm. I am not very practical. I am very romantic. Yeah, but that's a Libra Aquarius quality. But that's what I am and I'm not. I know, and so that's... that's the, yep. the romance gives my art life. It does give your art life, and a lot of creatives are very romantic. Absolutely. I... I was romantic when I was young and in my middle ages, I'm youthful, but in my middle ages, I have learned through romantic experience with multiple men that it is not the optimal behavior for me. I have learned that to connect with life, not just men, but with life in a way that is very grounding. These are earth words, very grounding. And yes, practicality is needed. And with more structure, there's a moon and Capricorn word with more structure, which gives it longevity and consistency so that because in, in physics, we collapse a reality we collapse an idea into our reality. It collapses into the, into the reality. It goes from the higher frequencies and it comes down and it collapses. That means it lowers its frequency and, and it, it has density. It has weight. It becomes a physical manifestation. And if it is done collapsing, it dissipates and it rises back up and it loses its density. Therefore, it loses its form. So in order to collapse an idea into your reality, 
you have to be in your body, you have to be grounded, and you have to have a balance of the practicality, the structure, and the longevity, which means you have to consistently focus with your feelings on what it is that you want, and you have to get excited about it. Mm-hmm. That takes a consistency and a practicality and You're a longevity. Right. I have a lot of initial excitement, and once that excitement dissipates, it's usually replaced by excitement for a brand new thing, and then it just moves and switches and, therefore, and goes and over and over And therefore, a again. lot of people, whether they're artists or not, do this, and this is why people fail in their manifesting. Mm-hmm. But we're here to be master manifestors. That's what ascended master well, I think is. this is also part of what the importance is for me of... of I, this is why I'm constantly being presented, and I really think this is like a solution that will really help me with this. Remove yourself from being so much a part of the feeling. Because the feeling, once you understand that it's temporary, that it's just something that you will experience, it'll come, it'll go. If you can remove yourself from that, if you can practice being the observer of the changing feelings, then you'll understand that the temporary nature of everything does not affect your grand observation or the goals that you want to observe. And now, you, now you're comprehending how you can help people who are having a fragmented perception. Yeah. You, yourself, you have to breathe, be the observer. That's fourth dimensional perception. That's zero point. Breathe, observe, feel, and know that this is a mirror reflection back at you. And then you use validation, compassion, empathy, and understanding with yourself. And that then extends to the other. You verbalize it. And then you call for water because we need to get the emotions flowing. Because they're stuck. They're stuck in one emotion. Fear. And you have to get the emotion flowing. You use water. And oxygen for that. So hydrogen and oxygen, those two things. And those are the remedy. And when we help others, we're really helping ourselves because everything comes back to the self. Everything comes back to the self. Those that we think of as mentally ill, they're reflecting our own victim, our own fear back to us. That's why, with that last guy just a month ago, Scott, in Eugene, I decided I was going to give him a gift of empowerment. And when I was channeling, I was channeling all the words to him. The whole thing was completely set up by inner self guides. All of it was. I saw the numbers, 2222, 1111, 1122, all of it. It was an, an opportunity for me to go to the next level of self empowerment, self love. And to help him simultaneously. It was a gift for both of us. And then I ended up seeing him again. Uh, at not far away from there. Mm. And you know, and I told him I was a yoga teacher. He was very interested in yoga. Had asked me about it. A type of tantra. And I said I hadn't heard of it. And told him tantra really has. Tantra is yoga. And then he was inspired by our conversation. And, and was like. Hi Sonia. Hi Sonia. You know I. Where do you teach yoga? I had, I, and I said online, remember I told you, I want to take your class. I feel so powerful from talking with you. Good, Scott. Breathe. Relax. 
and change your victim story to a victory story. How has being homeless empowered you and given you insight on yourself? And his eyes are all big and he's all like, oh, he's super inspired. And he goes, I got to think about that. Yes, go think about that. And I had to get in my car and, you know, and go off because the guy would have stood there and talked to me forever. But that's our job. Our job is not to save anybody. Our job is to inspire and empower people back into the self. That is how we help. But we're not helping one homeless person. You cannot help one homeless person. That's like, that's like saying I'm going to give somebody a fish instead of teaching them to fish. We don't help one homeless person because they're an archetype of the victim. That's why there's so many homeless people now is because humans are still playing out the victim program. Hence my webinar last month, Heal the Victim. What we do is we take them as a whole, as a whole archetype, the victim archetype. And we have to heal that within ourselves first before we can really help those people that are homeless. But you have to connect with the homeless. You have to connect with people who are mentally fragmented to see that within yourself. I've, I personally feel that talking with homeless people is an amazing opportunity for self-empowerment and then to share that with them. It is. And if everybody would approach it that way, we'd have a completely different society. But yeah, what you need to do, and everybody needs to do this. Think of all of the qualities that are what we would consider weak within yourself. I don't think that these are weak qualities. I don't feel that impatience is a weak quality within me. I used to, but I flipped that. And you don't have to be a quantum healer to come to this. Anybody can come to this. You just have to meditate every day, three times a day to have your internal insight. You think of all the qualities that the world deems as perfect and worthy and amazing. What, what of those don't you have? And then you go through the list of all of your wonderful qualities. And then, you know, my big, my big capper on this, this is how you boost your confidence. And it's, it works every single time. I don't have those qualities I'm an intense personality. Somebody needs to be intense. Source wants to express through all fractals. I have great impatience. Somebody has to be impatience. Um, I'm loud. Somebody's got to be loud because there has to be contrast to the quiet ones. Somebody has to be quiet. Kyan is quiet and we are loud and there's a contrast between the three of us and it works. He's not always going to be quiet. He'll get tired of being quiet. I'm not always loud. Even if my energy is like, his energy is loud. He actually has a very loud orc field. Everybody feels him. And he feels insecure about that. So he doesn't talk very much because his energy is huge. Because he is, he's a light waver. He's here to create waves in the collective frequency just by being. So are you and so am I. And if you're listening to this, you probably are as well. So it's about... When are you going to be ready to be comfortable with all aspects of yourself? And that just takes self-acceptance. And honestly, sweetie, a lot of that just takes life experience. Thank you so much, everyone, for checking out this week's episode of the podcast. Uh, if you have any feedback, we would love to hear it. So you can leave us a response on our Q&A forms, which I know you can find on Spotify, 
I don't know if they have them on Apple, but I would check that out or any of the other platforms. Or we have a Patreon group where we do a one-hour-long Q&A session every single Sunday. So you can find us on Patreon, uh, Patreon slash One Long Conversation. And we would love to hear from you. We'd love to get you involved in the process and uh, heal everyone collectively. That's, that's sort of the goal with this is inner healing for the self, for the collective. Uh, let's just find the best way to do it, get it all out there, and uh, move forward. So thank you guys so much, and we will see you for next week's episode.